Well, you guys were into the worship today. I have to say that. You guys feel that? This room is going for it. You guys ready to jump into teaching just the same? Okay. Well, today's message, it's a, it's, I'm excited about it. It is a message called Kingdom Authority. Um, and if, uh, if you're new here, we always have in our program, there's some message note sheets. They're there for you to follow along. Take some notes throughout the message, but you can grab that, pull that out. But the message is Kingdom Authority. Um, I want to highlight something. If, if you've ever seen somebody um, that has authority, you can usually just recognize it. When someone's got authority, it's usually easy to see. Um, you know, I serve full-time as a pastor. That's what I do here. I also serve part-time, as many of you know, as a police officer, and I'll volunteer my time. I went to the academy when I was in college, but I still do that. And uh, I remember a time when I saw authority on display. I was, this is not that long ago, responded to a call. It was a busy night. All the units are tied up. And it was a call that almost went sideways. It's not going to end well. So go to this call. It was a uh, party call, loud party. Get a lot of those calls. But get on scene. And as we're approaching, it was a pretty big party. It was spilling over into the other yards, a lot of people. Um, but what was a little different, approaching the crowd, you could already sense um, tension and there's just a posture. Now, as you're approaching it, what are they sometimes responding to? You know, if you're wearing a uniform, that can be good for some people. Some people are like, uh-uh, <laughs> they don't like that. So uh, as we're approaching... Uh, you can already see tension, just the fact that we're on scene. And uh, start talking to them, hey, how you guys doing? Just want to let you know, neighbors were calling, party's getting a little bit loud, spilling over into the yards, going to have to ask you to um, shut down, turn the music down, uh, make it a smaller gathering, blah, blah, blah. And uh, as we're doing that, you could just feel there's tension that's starting to rise up, and it's one of those ones where you can almost feel the posturing of a crowd. It could go, there's two of us, a lot of them, uh, you know, so... As we're doing that, you don't know if we're going to have to call the Calvary in, or is this going to just be real chill? Well, as we're assessing this, and it's all happening real time, uh, this woman, old woman, comes out of the home. She's maybe 5'1", 120 maybe, uh, little lady. She looks like someone's grandmother. She was asleep in the back. How she slept through it, I don't know, but she was woken. She comes out front. She goes, there are problems. I said, well, yeah. Neighbors were calling, telling the story, spilling over into their yards, a little bit loud, and blah, blah, blah. And she, uh, she goes, okay. And she looks at one of the guys, I'm guessing it's her grandson, and she just looks at him, and like with the fierceness of a pit bull, she just goes, <laughs> I want them out. And I mean now. That's all she said. If you've ever been to a party too, and you've ever seen a pinata hit and how fast kids run to grab candy, I don't know what happened. But these people, I mean, they ran. They were like to their cars. I look at my partner like, what just happened? Like, I don't even... <laughs> They, they moved. I'm like, I need to take her with me all night. I don't know who she is, but she's coming with me. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We had legal authority. She had relational authority. She spoke. They moved. It happened. Um, you know, people react differently when there's authority. When Jesus, we're at a point in the story. We're going through a series in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and we're at a point in this that Jesus is public. He's starting his ministry. And people are reacting to him. You know what they're reacting to? His authority. Mark 1.27, even they see him, he's doing amazing things. Besides just teaching with authority, he's healing. He's casting out demons. That's why in 1.27, the, the crowd just goes, he has authority. That's the word they use. Authority. Um, in, this, in this book, in Mark, it was written by a really close associate of Peter. 
written about 35 years after Christ. That's significant because it just means it's authoritative. It's hard to have a a made-up story when you have eyewitnesses still walking around, right? Very authoritative work. But in the book of Mark, it is portraying Jesus as the true king, a king that has been promised. He's the promised Messiah who has come, so he has every right to come in full authority. And what they're reacting to is he's walking around acting as if he owns the place, right? He has every right. He's true king coming. So when he's doing these amazing acts, healing, even casting out demons, he's doing it publicly and repeatedly. In the story, you're going to see two reactions of people. Two people are reacting to him. But behind it, there's this big reaction that's been happening by all the people, the popular people. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them and turn to Mark chapter 3, and I'll set this up for you. Um, There's a story not recorded in the Gospel of Mark. It is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. It happens right around this time. So Jesus, once again, he encounters someone who's demonized. He casts these demons out. This demon um, also inflicted blindness, caused him to be mute. He could not speak. Jesus, in power, comes, heals him. The guy can see, and now he's speaking. In Matthew chapter 12, what happens? The crowd, it says, they were amazed. Put an exclamation behind it. And then they ask this question, could this be the son of David? So what's going on behind the whole swell is that common, everyday people are seeing Jesus in action, and now they're asking big questions about him. Could it be him? Is it the promised Messiah? Now, the people who should have been catching this were the religious leaders of the day. They've studied the Old Testament. They know the signs of the coming king. They should have totally spotted him. Instead of spotting it, they're reacting negatively, and then they throw a crazy accusation out. They want to shut him down. They want to shut Jesus down. And so this is where we're getting to in the point in the story. And it's Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 20. And and a couple first couple verses, you're going to see one group react to him, and it's his family. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, "He is out of his mind." Well, what's the first accusation? His family saying, "Yeah, he's crazy. Like get the get that jacket, tie him up, put him in the little van, and take him off." Why would they say this? Understand this. When Jesus was little, as he's growing up, Scripture reveals he is fully God. He's also fully man. As he was growing up in this little town, nobody caught on that this is God in the flesh. He's grown up like a little boy. When he played hide and seek, he didn't use God powers and transport so he could never lose. He didn't do stuff like that. And take a rock and turn it into a rabbit. Do his own little magic shows with God power. He was, it was like incognito. Not until he went into public ministry does he start moving in authority and power. It's a fascinating thing that Jesus modeled for us even how to do life and ministry. He took his direction from the Father, moved by the power of the Spirit, not even in his own innate godness. He was taking a lead. And when it was time to go public, he went public. They just didn't know what to do with it. 
Michael unpacked more of that next week. The main one I want to focus on today is a second reaction and an accusation that is thrown out by the religious leaders. And this is it. In verse 22, it starts off. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, who are these guys? These are the big guns. They're pulling in the big guns to come and shut Jesus down. If you want to shut someone down, it's like a page out of politics. What do you do? Oh, you attack them personally. So you try and discredit their message. So here it goes. A personal attack is lobbed, and they're going to try and take away his authority that he seems to be demonstrating by personally attacking him. And this is what they said. So these teachers come down and they say this. They said, he's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. What's the accusation? Jesus is possessed by Satan himself. This term Beelzebub is a reference to Satan. Literally means Lord of the flies or Lord of the house or dwelling place, the house of demons. He's the Lord of that reference to Satan. See it kind of mentioned in the Old Testament. The God of the Philistines was Beelzebub, um, the God of Ekron. You even see an Israeli king pray to this uh, God, this Beelzebub, which really Satan, and he gets judged for it. But the enemy of Yahweh, God himself, is Satan. So this is all references to Satan, saying Jesus is possessed by Satan himself. Then they go on to say this, they, they said it's also not just attacking him personally, you know what else they're attacking is his work. Now, do they deny that God's moving in power, that Jesus is moving in power? No. They don't deny the miracles, they deny the source of the miracles, the source of the power. They said the source of it is from Satan himself. So, watch how Jesus refutes this. So Jesus called them in verse 23 and spoke to them in parables. Here he goes. You know, he's going to undo them with very simple things. He's going to do it and just, he has a power and brilliance within simple questions to unravel it. And he's going to start by questioning their faulty logic, basically saying, so wait, you're saying Satan is casting out Satan. Really? Like, help me understand. Uh, He goes on to say, how can Satan drive out Satan If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In other words, everyone knows the obvious. Um, He calls it absurd. It's actually a classic Greek argument. He plays it out to absurdity. Just shows that it's absurd. And he's basically saying, listen, I just cast out demons. If I'm doing this by Satan's power, then Satan is literally working against himself. And if he's doing that, there's nothing worse for him because he's pretty much at his end at this point. He's basically laying out the conclusion that Jesus can't be in collusion with Satan. In fact, he has more authority than Satan himself. He's actually destroying the work of Satan which, by the way, was an indication that he is the true king, the promised Messiah. And they don't even catch it. So um, he continues on. He's correcting their logic. In fact, he said in verse 27, 
No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possession unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Do you hear that? Like if there's a strong person, can you just walk into some big guy's house and say, I'm going I'm to rip your stuff off? No, you will get thumped, right? Uh, you're not going to just walk into someone's house and do it. So the reference is this. Um, who is the strong man in this passage? That's Satan. Who has the authority to go up and bind up the strong man? That's Jesus. He has greater authority, greater strength. And when it says rob his house, what's that a reference to? Where the Lord is literally casting out the demons. Also probably a reference to the fact that he is coming in authority as king, reestablishing his kingdom on earth. It's powerful. Jesus is demonstrating that he's stronger and has greater authority. Isn't this good? Now, there's a side note here. He's going to even reveal the heart of these leaders who are making these accusations, and this is directed at those leaders. Verse 28. Now, this has caused a lot of confusion for a lot of Christians. A lot of people have been afraid of this. Um, And it deals with the unforgivable sin. Here it goes. Verse 28. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. How many sins? All. All. That's a pretty blanket statement. Now that he throws this caveat thing in. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. Well, what is that? The key thing on this is, remember, let's take a look at who's he referring to in this passage. He's referring to the religious leaders of that day. Does this have a broader application? Not necessarily. But let's just play this thing out. What's he, what's he basically saying? saying that they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And well, how are they doing that? They are defying the very power of God. They're defying the majesty of God. They are denying, and not just denying, but they literally begin to attack that Jesus revealed in the flesh, sent by the Father, coming in power, is actually God. And they go on beyond that is to say that they're actually calling it demonic. They are trying to destroy it. This is not a one-time act. This is not just flippantly saying something or in a moment of anger just coming off and saying something, um, swearing or blaspheming against God or something. There's something within their hearts that was turned and now they are given to it. The next verse highlights that in verse 30. It said, he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. It says they were saying the original language That is in the perfect tense. That means they were continually doing it over and over. Their mindset was given, not just not recognizing Jesus, but beyond just not recognizing it, they're attacking him. They're going after him, trying to shut him down. It is a picture of hearts that have turned off one door after another, after another, after another. They're now so given to being against God, they cannot see it when it's in front of them. They have shut down. I like what the Expositor's Bible Commentary said. It says, if the person involved cannot be forgiven, it is not so much that God refuses to forgive as it is the sinner refuses to allow him. Isn't that good? They've shut down. I remember as a kid, I asked a pastor, I was like, "Ah, maybe I did it. I think I committed it. What? The unforgivable sin. Well, what do you mean? What did you do? I don't even remember. I, I was just afraid I did it. 
I like what J.C. Ryle said because my pastor basically said the same thing. There is such a thing as a sin which is never forgiven, but those who are troubled about it are most unlikely to have committed it. If you're worried about it, your heart is not closed off to the Lord, right? This is a picture of those who are completely shut down to the Lord over time and again and again and sealed. In fact, those who would probably do that would not even realize it or care that you'd say it. The main thing for us, we recognize Jesus as king. He's Messiah come, and we submit ourselves to him, and there's great power in it. Okay? Great portion of scripture. Great passage. Now, this passage is really dealing with a big key reality. I want to highlight it because there's massive implications. For me, it has been life-changing. I've seen it life-changing for so many people. Here's the big reality, then we'll unpack it. Reality is this. King Jesus has authority over Satan, over the demonic, over the dark side. He has ultimate authority. There's no greater authority. It is him. His healings, exorcism, teaching has demonstrated it. He did it logically with the Pharisees. He's been demonstrating it. Fact is this. Satan is real. Almost every New Testament book of the Bible talks about it. It's there. Um, I find three common errors in references and, and regarding Satan when it comes up. Briefly, it's like some totally dismiss him. Yeah, whatever. It's not real. Well, Scripture says don't be unaware. Second Corinthians really lays that out. Paul says don't be unaware of him. He's real. Okay, so, but some totally dismiss him. Others, here's another error, become obsessed by him. I don't know if you've ever run into hyper or paranoid, and there's a demon everything, demon of bad hair day. They will pray over the brush. Name of Jesus, get out of there. Okay, hold on, trigger, you know? That is just going on a little too far. Scripture is not consumed with Satan. It is consumed with Jesus. That's a great reference point for us, right? Our focus is him, not the enemy but we are not unaware of him. Third common error that people have in reference to Satan is they're afraid of him. So much so they're afraid to even talk about it. Fear that they're almost talking about it gives him power. I remember seeing this when I was in college. There was a friend of mine, and he was really afraid of it, and he'd sometimes have weird attacks at night, crazy dreams, sometimes even feel spiritual presence physically, and all this crazy stuff was going on. And I remember talking, like, listen, Jesus has got authority don't need to be afraid of it. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Like, it'll get worse if I talk about it. And sometimes we'd have these talks, and he'd call me the next day. He's like, oh, it happened again. I'm just afraid. And he was so afraid of this stuff. But he learned just to walk in the authority Christ has given. He walked in full freedom. It was like a light switch came on. He was free. So you don't need to be afraid of talking about it, dealing with it. If something does come up, there is great power in it. But the reality is he is real, um, so quick sketch, where did he, who is he, where did he come from? Just briefly, understand, who's creator? God created. He reigns supreme. So when he created, he created everything. He created angels. The chief appears to be Lucifer. Great power. When the chief angel turns, and does he have full authority? No. He's been delegated some authority. He's got great power, but man, compared to all power, nothing, right? But he turns. 
Apparently a third of the angels go with him. Now you see this cosmic battle in play. Now what's the battle? What's in jeopardy? Are they going to overtake God? Not a chance. The battle really has to do with they're just trying to come against anything God's wanting to do. They can't overtake him, but they're going to irritate, come alongside, do anything they can and take away from. That's what they're warring. There's no jeopardy that there's this big, great battle with good and evil. Hopefully it turns out. It's not like that. But he's real and powerful and has come against. Well, you've got to understand, too, we come on scene. The battle's already in play. You see Adam and Eve. God creates this amazing place. The battle's obviously been in play. Um, and how much power did Satan have in the garden? It's kind of a pathetic picture. Form of a serpent slithering around, pathetic, right? Um, were Adam and Eve freaked out? Were they running? Ah! No, real chill. What power did Satan have? Basically, power of persuasion. He's going to try and trick him. Understand this, you guys. When God created man and woman, you know what he said? Some key words. In his image. We're created in his image. Something powerful and unique in it. Didn't say that about angels. He said, I want you to multiply, be fruitful, multiply, fill up this earth. I want you to rule over it. Be good stewards. I'm giving you authority to care for it. Get to rule over it. Designed to rule as sons and daughters in his image. Esteemed high position. And you have Satan there throwing little lies, picking away, attacking the goodness of God. Interesting thing happens when they turn, they follow, they fall into the lie, eat a forbidden fruit, which is a representation that they're walking away from the Lord under their own authority, I mean, away from God's authority on their own, and in so doing, Satan himself becomes the usurper, in a sense, usurps a position that was given to them. You know how Jesus referenced him as the ruler of this world, Satan? He wasn't created as a ruler of the world. It's not like he has full control, but he obviously took some authority away because all of a sudden, once you come under Satan's authority, they gave something away that day. Mankind gave it away. When Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose. He not only redeemed, he began to reestablish the right relationship and great place of, and position that mankind was created for. Isn't that amazing? And uh, that, that's this picture. So is Satan still around? Yes, he is still around. But Jesus declared victory. This is in Matthew 28, verse 18. This is after his resurrection. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority. How much authority? How much? All. All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember Satan tried to tempt him? You know, hey, I'll give you the kingdom of the world. This is in the desert. It's like, obviously, Lord is full control. He could annihilate him if he wanted to, but he came back behind enemy lines, usurped the usurper by going to the cross and earned it back. And it's an amazing thing. He is king of kings. He has full authority. And when Jesus was on earth walking in authority, he was taking back what is rightfully his, reestablishing rule in the world, commissioning us to do the same on his behalf. Crazy. And he's the king. So Satan, is he defeated? Yes. Is he destroyed yet? No, no not yet. And he's going to go down kicking and screaming. But he is defeated. He is defeated. King Jesus has authority over Satan. And if he can do whatever he can on the way out, he will do it. 
He wrote his own job description, three words, focused. What are they? Steal, kill, destroy. He's focused. If he could do one thing to you, what would he do? What did he put first? He would kill you. He would if he could. Can't do that. He will steal from you. Joy, relationship, anything good. He'd love to destroy you. That's what he'd love to do. If you were the enemy, just think of that. He would go after those who are friends of God. That's what he does. So our Jesus is general. I mean, our general is Jesus. We're in his army. We get to go in his authority. Now, there's two big implications about this authority. Two big things. Um, there's more. I'll just focus on two today. But the implications are enormous. They are life-changing, transformational for me personally. One of the things that allowed me to continue just even staying in ministry, it's been freeing to understand about authority. There's two aspects, and you'll experience it more and more. I think you will today. First one is this. Do you know the first implication and how to experience Jesus' authority is this, is that, number one, you have authority to be free. You have authority to be free. Free from sin, things that bind you. You know, I meet with Christ followers all the time. And sometimes these people are in their worst state. They're totally depressed. They feel like they're at their end. They may have even been doing counseling for years. We encourage that. Feel like something's there. They cannot get over it. It's just overcoming. I don't know if you've ever seen this play out. Somebody comes to Christ. They start walking with him. They're totally excited. They're on fire. Things are going so well. And it's almost like this old thing begins to raise its ugly head. Used to have great control, now starting to creep back. Could be an attitude. There's this root of bitterness that starts rising up and starts overtaking. Maybe it's anger. But it starts raising its head and it feels like it's getting stronger and stronger. It's like the, you know, feeding the monster. It's getting hungrier and hungrier. And the joy you once had is starting to go away to the point where people think, oh, I don't know if I'm even saved. I don't know if it's real. No, listen. Once you give your life to Christ, you are in Christ. You have a new identity. You're a son of God, daughter of God. Old is gone. New has come. You were an enemy of God. You're now a friend of God. That doesn't change. But the enemy, somehow there's places where he is attacking, afflicting, or your, our own flesh is attacking, but we have authority to be free. I'll explain how that looks in a second. First, I'll just mention this. How much authority does Satan still have? You know, how much authority does he have over us? You know, Scripture's not totally clear. We do get a couple things, though. Seems like he does have authority to attack and harass. 1 Peter 5 gives Christians a warning, and it says this, Be self-controlled. Be alert. Be alert on what? And he tells you, your enemy, the devil, prowls around. He is like a roaring lion, and he is looking for someone to devour. He's got a full-time job. He's been doing it for generations, and he wants to devour. So it says, be self-controlled, be alert. When, was Jesus ever harassed or attacked by Satan? Yes, right? See it all the time in there. Were the disciples attacked and harassed by Satan? Yes. Was Paul? Yes. 
In fact, you realize that in Thessalonians, it even says that Satan stopped, he, Paul says, Satan stopped me from traveling back to you from, to Thessalonica. Whoa, Satan was involved in that. Remember when Paul described this physical ailment, he goes, this thorn in my flesh is a messenger of who? Satan. He prayed for it to go away, but God, he actually said on that one, I'm gonna allow it to stay, it'll keep you humble. But Satan doesn't get full right over your life. But he's gonna get that little piece, but that's okay. Crazy. We get little glimpses. There were shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments. Guarantee the enemy is behind that. You get the curtain pulled back just a little bit in the book of Job as well too. In Job chapter one, it takes you behind the scenes and you see this, Satan is ticked off. He's so angry, he comes to God and he is complaining. And as he's talking to the Lord, he just says, you've always protected Job and his family and everything he has. See how grumpy he is? He's so irritated. There's a level of protection that God grants. Can Satan do whatever he wants to you? And when I say Satan, it's obviously the broad reference to the band of demonic that go with him. Unlikely you or I personally are being attacked by Satan himself. Most likely one of his minions. But how, does he have full authority to take you out? What does he want to do? Kill. How many of us are still alive? Okay, good. He's not winning that, right? There's obviously levels of protection. My guess is we probably have great authority to move and ask for greater protection. I do it all the time. Pray for my family. Pray for my son, my wife. I pray it over our church. We have great authority as children of God to come on his behalf. So I pray it. So obviously Satan is out there, but, and he can attack and harass. But here's another one. I want you to really catch this one. He also has authority that we give him. Do you realize that we can actually offer him influence in our life that he doesn't rightfully have, but we can literally give him a handhold? There's going to be a key question here, and I'll explain how this works. Key question, whose authority are you under? The key question is, whose authority are you under? What does that mean? In Christ, he has full authority, we're his. The enemy doesn't have every right over us, but could you surrender a piece of who you are to the enemy that could be influenced? So much so that that piece of who you are has some level of influence now. Look at the scripture in Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 26. It says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What is this referring to? got an issue going on. doesn't mean you have to call that person necessarily resolve it that night. The issue is more between you and the Lord first. It's always a matter of your own heart. Got something that's ticked you off, it's keeping you up, get your heart right with the Lord. Don't, go, don't let something go down on that. Isn't that interesting how quickly it says take care of it? The heart condition. You may have been unjustly dealt with. Admit it, tell the Lord, release it back to him, else something goes on. And it says this, verse 27 and do not give the devil a foothold. What is that? Other translations translate into an opportunity. Then it says this, he who's been stealing, steal no longer. Why? This is a simple, here's like a rope, here's a carabiner. Let's just say this, you've got this anger, there's something going on. You don't deal with it. 
all of a sudden, this area of your life, you're almost submitting to the enemy's will, which is a festering, bitter, divisive attitude. And as that sits and ferments, it's almost like someone coming and tying in. You've now just given a handhold. Does the enemy have full control over your life? No. Ooh, but can he tug a little bit? Probably. Tack your emotions a little bit. Ooh, probably. More intense reactions than you normally should. Well, I don't know why I react so hard. Boom, probably. Could go on and on. You could feed that thing more and more. If an enemy truly gets a foothold in a camp, do they just want a little bit? No way. They'll take as much as you give them. And the enemy kingdom is no different. Go along. It says steal. Steal no longer. Why? When you do, you create an opportunity. Any sin opens a door of opportunity. Another handhold. Boom. Maybe you were unjustly dealt with. It is so hard to experience forgiveness. And here's another one. You hook it on. This one doesn't want to go. There it goes. Listen. Do you see this? We could keep adding these all day. Someone says, I'm, I'm in Christ. I'm supposed to have freedom in Christ. Right. You, you don't have to carry these all around. You've got handholds all over the place. You're giving pieces of yourself to have influence by an outside force. Why would you even want that? Not that every time we sin, something's going on in the demonic realm with it. But obviously, Ephesians says, don't, don't be unaware of this stuff. This is real. He can attack, it's clear, he can attack our minds through temptation. Remember even when Jesus came against Peter, Peter said something and Jesus says, oh, get behind me, Satan, addressing it to Peter, not talking to Peter, but the enemy speaking through Peter. So even our mind can be attacked, crazy stuff. So listen, we don't need to offer handholds all day. Why? We have authority to be free. Isn't that good? It's almost like the enemy, he doesn't have full right and authority. It's almost like a parasite. He has to have human cooperation to do what he wants to do. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, he had to convince them. Just like when you see Herod, you see the babies killed in Bethlehem. Enemy wants to kill. He was trying to get rid of the Messiah by killing all the babies. You needed Herod, a cooperating person, to go along with his scheme. Work through human partnership, human cooperation. Don't offer partnerships, right? We don't need to give what we don't need to give him. There's a great quote by this, and it says, says this. The vitality of the devil is parasitic, and his, strength and, uh, and his strength substantially drawn from humanity. The power that the devil has in himself is far less than we might imagine and far more dependent on that which mankind gives him. Whose authority are you under? Now, I love what Jesus said when he started his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, 18, it says this. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jesus' marching order. Why? Because is it possible that so many people still walk around, even following Christ, but offering pieces of their life in bondage? The walking bound. Now, do we have right to be free? Well, how do you experience that? It's so simple. I'll give you one verse. Because truly, you guys, it is simple. 
There's a great scripture in James chapter 4, verse 7. What's it say? There it is. Submit yourselves then to God. What's that look like? You just come and ask the great counselor, the Lord himself, is there any area of my life that's broken, unsubmitted to you? He'll sh- trust me, he'll show you. Don't feel like you have to freak out and think of, you gotta remember every little thing you've ever done. He'll, listen, if there's an issue there, he's gonna, he'll bring it up in his timing. And when he does, deal with it. Submit yourselves then to God, therefore. And then it says this, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. He understands lines of authority. But don't give him an opportunity. He doesn't rightfully get. Take the right away. So it's so simple. As you come to the Lord, you're basically saying, and let's just say we take one of those. Let's deal with, take that unforgiveness one. Lord, I'm so angry. I have been hurt. It's been unjust. And you should use those words. Whatever emotions come to your mind, use them. And I choose to forgive. As you're saying it, you may not feel it. It's just been undone. The great releaser releases. You could put it right back on. You don't have to, though. As it creeps back in, the anger reemerges. Do it again. Until your mind is quiet with that person. But it's not, look, don't wait till you want to. Will you ever want to? No. It's always a choice. I choose to. I choose to forgive. Off it goes. If it's stealing, Lord, I confess I have done it. Forgive me. Would you take back the ground? Off it goes. Maybe you're angry at the Lord. You think life should have turned out different. You questioned his goodness. Been so angry. It's like, Lord, I don't understand. Maybe I won't get to, but I know this much you're good. Forgive me for how I've looked at you and how I viewed you. Would you forgive me? Off that hook goes. What, what is the idea of experiencing Jesus' authority? It's this. You've got authority to be free. Isn't this good news? It's great news. You can literally be walking around bound deeply for years. And yes, it could feel like you're not free. But ask the great counselor. He'll be so good, he'll show you. You can walk free. I'll give you one more briefly on this one. There's another great implication of the authority of Jesus. This is one that has allowed me to continue on in ministry. I think I would have burnt out or run away. Seriously, it's just, it's, and here, here's what it is. The second one is this. It is authority to act on Jesus' behalf. You get to act on his behalf. Let me explain this to you. First, I'll, I'll set it up with this. I, I'll tell you this. When I was 16, I, uh, I remember I was training in martial arts and going up through the ranks. And I remember my instructor, Mr. Ichikawa. Doesn't it sound so 80s karate kiddish right there? <laughs> okay, Mr. Ichikawa calls me into his office and... Uh, he goes, I want to give you something. And he hands me a key to the studio. Now, I was excited when I got my license, but man, I will never forget the moment I was handed that key. Why? Because you know what he's saying in that, in that act? He's saying, I trust you. I trust you. 
And I was so careful, man, I tried to, I tried to take care of the studios he'd want to be taken care of. I'd go and work out early. I'd be there all the time. But there's something about it when somebody trusts you and hands you the keys. Jesus was physically on earth, did his work here. When he left, what did he do? He said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're now my hands. You are my feet. And he says this in Luke 12, 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Here's keys. It's crazy that the Lord trusts us. Don't you have like a skeptical side like, oh, big mistake, (laughs) big mistake. But it's this. In John 20, 21, it says this. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus modeled it. Do you see how he even said it? As the Father sent me. There is a big secret to the ministry of Jesus, and it is revealing for all of us What did Jesus do? He followed the Father. What do we do in ministry? We follow the leader. We don't run off on our own. We don't try and do it on our own. I've made so many mistakes in ministry trying to do or act out just thinking I should try and take care of every need in front of me or try and do this and that. And I'm just trying to, you know, just shooting off, whatever. Listen, we follow the leader. God's always at work. The Holy Spirit is active. We take his lead and minister as he directs us. Now, so the key question is this. Are you listening to the king? Are you listening to the king? Because if not, you can't follow his direction. Now, watch how Jesus laid it out. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. I'm going to look at a couple verses which show this to you. John chapter 5, verse 30. John 5. Now, watch this first phrase. This is Jesus speaking in his humanity, fully God, but during his time on earth was taking the lead from the Father, choosing not to act out on his own godness, but taking the lead, letting the Holy Spirit work through. John 5.30 says, by myself, I can do what? Nothing. Well, aren't you God? What's he saying? He's saying that he's choosing not to act on his own uh, authority he has, just innately just being God. He's modeling something. He's going to take the lead from the Father. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. He came as a sent one. John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Again, catch this. This is as he was walking on earth. doesn't mean he wasn't God. He's choosing to step back and model for us. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. That's powerful. What's the secret to ministry? What's the secret to acting on his behalf? You follow the leader. You listen for him. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That deals with personal transformation. That also deals with just moving out in ministry. John 15, he also says, I've called you friends. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he said that one, I've called you friends. Everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. 
He reveals things. The most simple is this in 1027. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. Hey, are you a believer? Yes. If you are, he'll lead you. I can't hear from God. I don't know how that works, blah, blah, blah. Listen, you may not hear audible voices. Get these things. The Lord will lead you. You're his children. He'll lead you. The key question is, are you listening to the king? He's always at work. Listen, when you understand this, it gives you two things. First is confidence. Why? Because when God, you get a sense of God's leading and direction, you now get to move in authority and power. All of heaven is behind you. You know how like a, a parent can have a credit card? Picture a father has a credit card. Father's name on top. They can give it to their son, and the son's name will be right under that. Now that is real trust right there, right? <laughs> they can hand it to him. So however the father would want to go, he gives it to his son because he knows his son will be wise with it. If the son wasn't wise, it would just be spending however, what's going to happen? That'll get cut off real quick. But the father's saying, listen, if you spend this as I would spend it, if you need it, it's an emergency or whatever it is, you spend it and you use it. That son can drop that thing down just as if the father was there and he's got something to back him up. When Jesus went and ministered as he was led by the father, you got to catch this, did he go and meet every need he saw? No, he walked by a lot of people with needs. He took the direction from the Father. You think of the pool of Bethesda, all these people sick, lying around. He senses from the Father, go get that one. He walks over, boom, he heals. Not everybody was healed that day, but that one was. Well, why that one? Because he's just following what the Father wants him to do. Do you know, it doesn't just give confidence. The second thing it gives is freedom. I don't have to meet every need. It's not, I see needs all over the place. As a pastor, I mean, I, I could tell you 100 people right now I could call, try and grab, reach out to. You can get compassion fatigue. We're not meant to carry the world. We take our orders from the king, and he'll show you what to do. Now, Jesus never turned anybody away who came to him. He ministered. But he also took the lead from the Father. That is, that's, what I'm, that's the thing. It keeps you in ministry. It also gives you great confidence if you have a sense where he's calling you to do something, it's like the Lord has dropped the credit card. You've got all of heaven behind you, and you now can move in authority, and he backs you up. If he calls you to do it, he'll empower you to fulfill it. It's powerful. What's it look like to take a lead and to listen? You guys, it could be so simple. You might just be thinking, you get the sense you're praying for somebody you work with, and you have the sense like, man, I'd just love to share. You're getting a burden, so you start to pray. Like, Lord, if you give me an opportunity, I'll talk to him. Next thing you know, they turn to you and say, hey, listen, you seen that Bible series that's been going on? What do you think about this stuff? And you start going, hey, listen. You started feeling a burden. You start to pray. God's opening a door. What's he doing? He's giving an opportunity. Just trust the Lord. It might not be a one-time conversation, but he's doing something. Follow his lead in it. Sometimes you'll just get a sense, a, a small prompting to do something. My wife had one recently, a text. She felt like, oh, I had this scripture, a text. She sends it to a friend. Had no idea that this friend of hers was making a decision about life support for a family member at that moment. Comes through right at the time. I'm telling you, the, the Lord ministered to them. What's he doing? God is extending his kingdom rule and extending peace in places he needs it, and he will use you and me to do it. What does it mean to minister on Jesus' behalf, act on his behalf? What did Jesus do? He loved people. He talked to people about himself. He'd meet needs. 
He'd pray for them. Sometimes he'd move in power. He healed, cast out demons. You may not see healing or cast out a demon. Maybe you will. But all I can tell you is this, is his hands and feet are here, and he will commission and release you because he is still extending his rule as king, doing it through us now. We take our lead from him. I remember being in my backyard. I was with my son, and this is just a couple weeks ago. I had gotten up, and I was digging sprinkler holes, and um, it seems like whenever I work on sprinklers, bad things happen, and this was no exception. I got up, and I stepped in the hole, twisted. My knee twists sideways. I feel a little pop, <sighs> and you know, now I'm limping, like I'm gimping away. So, and Kev's like, what's wrong, Dad? I said, like, I just got a little owie, you know, huh. Uh, so I'm limping this thing off, and I, it's just not going away real fast. So I go to the garage, and I walk my way, limp my way to the garage. He follows me. So I'm just standing there trying to just move it, get some motion in this thing. And it's just, it's aching. It's hurting. And, uh, and he's like, Dad, are you going to be okay? Yeah, it's just a little owie. <laughs> uh, so I'm standing there, and I just get this thought, well, you should just teach him how to pray. And good, it'll get my mind off this. Son, you know how we always say, get now, we will just pray, ask the Lord. Um, good, so it's my distraction. So you want to pray? Maybe you could pray for Daddy. Okay, I don't, how do you do that? Okay, just you do this. You just say, um, just tell, remind yourself like, and how good God is. Say, God, you're so good. Uh, you love people. You love to um, help people and minister. So I ask that you'd help my Daddy, um, help the ouchie. Uh, you take that ouchie away. Okay, good job. And so he's just saying this. Let's take the ouchie away. Then he just says, um, ouchie, go away. Jesus says so. I'm like, oh, good job. <laughs> I thought it was so cute. I'm, you know, I had like zero expectation for anything. At least it's entertaining me as I'm in pain. And I'm telling you, seriously, this, like I was moving it and it felt better. It's like, oh my gosh. I'm like, hey, do that again. <laughs> it's feeling better. <laughs> and he did it. He did it again really fast, really quick. I literally went back to work, and I'm like, it actually feels better, son. I like, don't know what to tell you. It feels better. Whatever happened there, all I know is like, I was just, I didn't expect anything for me. I was just thinking, oh, it's a teachable moment. I'll just follow those when the Lord gives it to me. And he's like, oh, that, that's really cool. Let's go play cars. You know, off he's to another thing. But whatever it is, it's a little moment. You know, following the Lord can be very simple little things. You follow a prompting. Every once in a while, something will rise up like in power. You are compelled to do something. Last night, um, somebody had gone home after the Saturday night service, and they forwarded this email to Mike, and then Mike forwarded it to me this morning. And um, he texted me, hey, you got to read this email. And I read it. This guy says, feel free to share it. He goes, when he got home out last, late last night at his house, he goes out front, and then he sees three guys running, two guys chasing one. They end up stopping right in front of him, and this massive fight is breaking out two on one, He's getting pummeled, and he's like, whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop. He's trying to separate these guys, and it's apparently some big dude here. So two guys are jumping this one guy, and, and they're telling him to stay out. It's not his business. They could care less about him, and they're just they're going off on this guy, beating him. And he doesn't know what to do. He's just totally overcome. And then next thing you know, the guy's now on the ground, and they're taking it to him, kicking, stomping, and he sees the guy's really good. He's bloodied. He's getting beaten. And he goes, it, he goes, I don't know what happened. It rose up in me. And he goes, so I got this image of that 5-1 grandma. <laughs> but he goes, in Jesus' name, get out of here. And he pushed it. He goes, I didn't push that hard, but he pushed the big guy. The guy goes like 10, 15 feet. And they just look and they run, scattered. And he goes, I'm convinced the guy would have been in the hospital. 
you know, police arrive and all that stuff happens. Uh, he goes, you got to share this. But for him, now I don't encourage you to get in the middle of fights or gang fights or anything like that. <laughs> all that's really an illustration. There are times you will get a sense of something rising up. And if God calls you to act, he'll, he'll, he'll back you up. He'll back you up. The key is intimacy with God. It's an intimacy requirement of walking with God. Jesus has full authority over Satan, demons, and everything else. You have the right to be free. So are you submitting any part of your life to the enemy that you don't need to? You also have the right to act on his behalf. So are you walking with him so you can hear correctly? Let's respond to that, okay? You know, we're going to be taking our offering in just a moment. You know, there's a card. You can fill that out. We'll pray for you. But before we even do that, we're going to do one song first. But we're also going to do something else. We're going to take communion together. It's set up. There's tables on the left and the right. um, And they're there for you. But, you know, let's respond to this right now. So I want to invite you to do something. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. Take away your distractions for a moment. You can fill out your offering or card in just a second, and, but just focus for a second. First of all, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, he is the king. He has revealed himself. He has ultimate power. He has the power to set you free. He has the power over life and death. He's got it all. And you just say, I, I submit myself to you. I recognize you. I come under your authority. Thank you for dying in my place. Forgive my sin. I give you myself. You do that right now. You, you, there, whether you feel it or not, something changes. You become a friend of God, child of the King. Let me speak to us all. When you're in Christ, do you know what it says? We are the redeemed. We sang that earlier. That means we have freedom to be free. We've been redeemed, set free. Every little carabiner that's been clamped on through any sin can be removed, granted freedom. I see it all the time. There's a girl recently in full depression. She got set free. She said for her it was like voices in the head. When it, it was like the radio being turned off. The suicidal thoughts stopped. She's free. It's powerful stuff. He wants to set you free. More than anything, he wants to walk with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. It's an intimacy piece. Just renew your relationship with the Lord right now. Say, more than anything, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. So he's going to do some amazing things right now. He'll show you any area he wants you to submit back to him, and you do it quickly. Confess it. Say, I choose to confess it. Forgive. To confess this. Would you take back any ground I've surrendered? And quietly but powerfully, all that will come off. And you renew your, your, your sense of desiring to walk with him again. And then I'll commission you because you have the very power of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're 7, 17, or 70, it's the same spirit. And when he calls you to move, he'll be behind you. So I'm going to pray right now. Father, as we come before you, we want to have a sense of who you are. In fact, your word even declares that presence in your throne. It's so powerful. It's amazing. Angels would fall prostrate. And everybody in here, I want you to get the sense like in that place, imagine yourself before the Lord, everyone prostrate because they're just so overcome. I want you to imagine the Lord looking at you and say, I want you to rise up because this is my house. I want you to come boldly and confidently.
because this is the throne of grace. And you watch him take off everything that has been hindered by sin. He's going to drop it. He's going to do that as you take communion, as you confess these things. It's going to be powerful. So, Holy Spirit, would you just minister to us? We want to thank you so much for the body, which represents your broken body, for the blood that you spilled, which represents life and new relationship. May this be a sacred moment, Lord. Would we walk freer in the next few moments and minutes as we worship because you're setting us in deeper freedom, maybe freedom that's held us for years. Would you set people free so we could listen more clearly and move and minister on your behalf? We ask in your name. You're free to go to the tables.